0: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have a great show lined up for today. You know, we're going to talk about tariffs and the stock market. Why? Have you noticed the stock market is kind of been through some gyrations in the last couple of weeks? Just
1: a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Trump is tweeting out there again, so uh, that certainly gets everybody spurred up.
0: Yeah, one tweet about tariffs, you know, and the market drops 500 Mm. points. So, yeah, yeah, so that has been affecting the stock market. So we're going to dig into this a little bit. There's a good article here. We're going to kind of use a basis for this and talk about the tariffs and what that means to the stock market and the economy. And kind of what all we've been going through in the last couple of weeks to try to boil that down into something we can all understand.
1: Yeah, that's good. And we're going to follow up with a conversation about it's tax time, right? And a lot of people worry about being audited. Well, you know, your chances are really pretty, pretty low. I mean, they're at one out of 143, which is... It's about the odds of Clemson winning the national championship next year, so it's not the, very they, high.
0: Those could be pretty high. If your chances of getting audited are that high, you're in big trouble, buddy. I will say that's higher than
1: Carolina. so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to go through some some uh, items that the IRS says that does trigger the, the audits, but uh, it's not a very likely case.
0: That's true. That is a great topic, though, this time of year. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro with over 23 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice.
1: And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart SmartVestor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years.
0: And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon.
1: You can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have the link to the podcast. We have a whole bunch of historical podcasts on a lot of different topics. You can check that out. We also have some really good tools. The IRS has a new calculator out for withholding. So you can go check that out in the uh, resource uh, area. And we have a Facebook page. So check that out. We have a, a video that typically goes up there on a weekly basis.
0: Right. And do check us out on our website and email us your questions. We'd love to hear from, us, from you. You can email us at info at or you can link to us right off our website. Um, well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. This
1: comes from the Energy Information Administration. And, uh, Steve, this is a, an interesting time. I mean, American oil producers have pumped about 10 million barrels of crude oil um, per day. Uh, per day yeah, that's right, for the last seven weeks. And uh, it hit about 10.4 million, um, you know, the week ending a, a couple of weeks ago. The last time the U.S. oil producers hit 10 million barrels a day was back in 1970
0: wow it's amazing like almost 50 years since we hit 10 million barrels a day
1: and i think we're energy independent now we're not relying on other countries to 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 do that and think think about 10 years ago um there was no talk of that i mean people wanted to get there right
0: that's right it just shows how fast things change doesn't it with fracking Mm -hmm. and uh, horizontal drilling and some of the new technologies that are out there um and now energy's booming Mm -hmm. you know gas is still down there around 250 a gallon um but, you know, energy is a big part of our economy now.
1: So making assumptions about old industries, it doesn't work anymore. And it mm-hmm. really never has worked. But technology today is changing industries drastically.
0: And it's in unpredictable ways. It is. It's things you cannot sit there and look and say, oh, well, this industry is going to totally go away. And we're going to the new economy or something. Because, you know, things do change. And who knows? We think we're going to all be you know, riding in, uh, uh autopilot cars mm-hmm. going forward, but you never know. I mean, it could change.
1: I remember talking to people years ago about, um, you know, individual stocks. And there was one person that I came across that had a lot of G stock, you know, the utility, utility industry, very stable and so forth. Not so much anymore. That's I mean, right. that one stock <laughs> was a stalwart in people's portfolios and it has been decimated.
0: That's right. And we thought nuclear energy was on its way back, too. And You just don't know. Westinghouse just went bankrupt last year. So, yeah, you want to be diversified. That's the key. That is the key. And uh, speaking of the stock market being diversified, um, we're going to talk about tariffs here. John, you know, this is based out of an article from David Nicholas of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. But, you know, the stock market has been reacting wildly lately. That's what I hear. The past couple (laughs) of weeks. It has been uh, been a pretty exciting ride. Um, you know, both it went down over 5% just last week, and then it had its biggest one-day rally in almost 10 years here this past Monday. Up, uh, the Dow was down like 400 points on Friday, but then it went back up 669 points on Monday just this past week. Mm. Um, so there's been no shortage of volatility. <clears throat> it has been very volatile and after a year of picking small trade fights president trump is finally kind of getting to the the big trade issues and he's pulling out the big stick and um you know it's yet to be seen if president trump's trade talk is going to work but there have been some promising signs so we're you know cautiously optimistic that we're going to he's going to see some uh results from this but it has certainly sent the stock market through a lot of turmoil in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, Trump signed an executive memorandum on Thursday uh, last week that would impose tariffs of $60 billion in Chinese imports after announcing the 20% tariff on steel just a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah, he's definitely trying something new here. He is. Right, and he, he probably is the right person to try it because he's pretty unpredictable.
0: He is, yeah. I mean, you know, I heard it this morning driving in that somebody said, you know, the the other countries think he's just a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes them scared of him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he made uh, North Korea blink, <laughs> which, is, yeah, right. which is interesting. You know, the Chinese response so far suggests that they're more than willing to negotiate than they have in the past. In fact, on Monday, um, you know, China said that the two countries should maintain negotiation and they reiterated pledges to ease, you know, access um uh for American businesses over in China. And over the weekend, Treasury Sec- Secretary Mnuchin said that he's hopeful that the United States can work out a trade agreement with China. Um in fact, Larry Lindsay, who served as the director of the National Economic Council under uh, Bush, said that the last three administrations have taken a more conciliatory approach to trade with China, and it, quite frankly, has not worked. So he says in the end, what's happening in monetary policy is going to be far, far more important to the market than these hiccups in trade that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. So um, maybe we shouldn't pay so much attention to the noise.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's right, and that's good advice, I think. You know, I mean, the Chinese trade practices that he targeted last week, they included the theft of intellectual property, Um, the forced transfer of technology secrets and the rules that discriminate against U.S. firms. And, you know, I mean, it's far more important uh, than the industry specific complaints that prompted earlier tariffs on solar panels and washing machines and steel and aluminum that um, he talked about Mm -hmm. last week. So if the president could somehow curb these unfair Chinese practices, he would create broad benefits for the U.S. economy. Is earlier trade actions, though, intended to benefit just a few domestic firms at the expense of others, like automakers that like having access to cheap imported steel. So now the question is whether Trump's penalty, you know, a 25 percent tariff on $50 billion of imports, will bring their trading partners to the negotiating table, or if it will simply, simply aggravate China and start some kind of dangerous trade war.
1: Yeah, in the early going, Steve, there, there are hints of both outcomes. Um, China unveiled a list of products it plans to hit the uh, U.S. with, um, but the two countries have also begun high-level talks aimed at addressing the U.S. concerns, and certainly you know, China has a lot more to lose in a trade war with the U.S. than, than we do, since we import um, from China. Um, you know, it dwarfs what we export to them. So everyone knows that China's economy relies heavily on trade, with the U S of playing hardball with them on trade may be a gamble and it may be worth taking. I mean, it's not, not a bad strategy.
0: That's right. And you know, the experts, they're differing on how this is going to play out. Um, one of them here, Fred Bergstein, he's a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for international economics. He's betting on a negotiated solution. He says Trump's basic goal is to reduce the bilateral trade deficit and if China says it'll buy 20 billion more Boeing or soybeans or some other products um, that are politically important to, to Trump, then he'll be happy to claim that as a victory and to move on.
1: You think he would actually tweet that?
0: <laughs> I don't think he'll tweet that, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean. That, no, that, but he'll probably tweet that he won. He'll I mean, tweet right? that he won. Yeah, he definitely yeah, will tweet that he yep, won. Yep, he'll yep. definitely crow about it if yep. he gets some concessions. And that's, you know, that does appear to be what he's going for. Um but, you know, who knows how this will play out. You know, reports say that U.S. is pushing for its auto, semiconductor, and financial firms to have better access to Chinese markets. And it seems that China, um, they are willing to try to negotiate and conciliate. conciliate. Um, the Chinese don't want a trade war either. Um, it's less clear, he added, that China is willing to make any trade deal intellectual pro- intellectual property protection or even admit that the problem exists. So if Bergstein is right, Trump will cancel his tariffs in exchange for a few concessions while allowing, allowing China to continue some of its most harmful practices. That would definitely be preferable to letting the tariffs take effect. That's what he's saying. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But, you know, agricultural groups fearing that, uh, you know, Chinese retaliation, they oppose the tariffs. Um, uh, gentleman, Jim Monroe, said we support the administration's efforts to improve on the trade situation. But in doing so, we don't want to take you know, a step back in the uh, agricultural area. Pork is on the list of uh, products that China says will face a 25 tariff, percent tariff if the U.S. penalties go into effect. And China bought about a billion dollars of U.S. pork last year. That's the second biggest export market after Mexico. So any reduction in the export market. Um, is bad news for that particular sector of the market.
0: Yeah, soybean growers are also worried. Um, Farmers fear that soybeans, which are a $14 billion export to China last year, might be uh, on the hit list. And agriculture has been a bright spot in our trade picture. You know, growers are saying they have nurtured this trade buildup and they're expecting it to keep increasing, so they certainly don't want to lose it. Um, So Trump is waving a big stick out here that hardly anybody and certainly not U.S. farmers and not even the technology firms that are most affected by these trade, China's trade practices want him to use. So our best hope is for a negotiated deal that makes U.S.-China relationship just slightly less lopsided. Um, However, you know, our trade relationship With China has deteriorated for years and they have stolen intellectual property and dumped subsidized goods on our markets from solar panels to tires. You know, no one has had the backbone to call their hand before now. So, you know, maybe this will finally lead to a fair trade deal with China. Time, time will tell. But meanwhile, the stock market is thrashing about trying to get its head around the issues and potential impacts to industries and future earnings. And the truth is, no one really knows how this will play out or how much impact it could potentially have on the markets if it doesn't turn out as well as the administration plans. However, history shows that trade negotiations and tariffs have little impact on the market over the short term. It takes years before tariffs and trade deals really start to affect earnings and it's not often, <clears throat> it's often not the way that it first appears to to affect it. So while the market continues to go through the gyrations at every tweet or every hint of the next move in trade, remember that the short-term ups and downs rarely have any lasting impact on the markets. Markets are primarily driven by earnings and earnings growth over time. And it usually takes years for those trade negotiations to make a significant impact on the overall market. The bigger issues for earnings are always the economy and growth. And many economic factors like jobs, wages, manufacturing, they play a much more significant role in driving the markets than does these trade negotiations. So our advice would be to tune out all of this market noise created by the tariffs and the tweets and trade. And stay focused on your long term goals.
1: Yeah, I saw a stat, Steve, recently that um, looked at the last 50 market corrections over the last 50 years. Yep. And the average recovery was a little bit over 100 days. So a couple of months. Right. Now, right. It, who knows what this is going to turn out to be? We're still in correction territory. It's been, uh, what, a month and a half, roughly? Right, so right. Um, making decisions based on these headlines is not a good strategy.
0: No, it's not. And, you know, who knows how this is going to turn out? But, um, it certainly will play out, you know, eventually. And I think the effect on the overall market, as we mentioned, is it's probably going to be pretty minimal. You know, it's going to be it's going to be earnings, earnings growth and mm-hmm. economy that really have the lasting effect on the stock market. So, you know, while it's entertaining to watch the gyrations up and down, you know, and, and all the things going on in Washington with in terms of trade and tariffs, um, it shouldn't affect your long-term <clears throat> investment philosophy.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure many people would use the entertaining
0: <laughs> term, but yeah, have, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's, the, all it's entertaining the, if for, you don't have your life savings. For us, in we
1: understand the ups right. and, the, and the noise associated with it. And what Trump's doing is probably brilliant. You know, we'll see how it turns out. But uh, yeah, I'm,
0: I'm kind of optimistic. I mean, he's finally gotten some movement, you know, mm-hmm. with China to negotiate. And um, who knows how, level, how seriously they're going to negotiate. But there has been talk of negotiations. And, uh, you know, even North Korea now is talking to Chinese, mm-hmm. China. So, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, those are some interesting and positive developments. So we'll see how it works. Anyway, that leads us up here to our question of the week.
1: Yeah, this question has to do with um, uh, basically taking money out of your IRA. And uh, so the person is retired. This question came in this last week, and they want to pull money uh, out of their IRA to pay for real estate, about $200,000. And they said, should I do that? Ouch. Yeah. So you start looking at the taxes. Now they are over um fifty nine and a half, so there's no penalty for doing that, but
0: still two hundred grand. I mean, the answer is heck no. I mean, you gotta take (laughs) out like three hundred to even Yeah. Yeah. Pay the taxes.
1: Yeah, and you you start looking at the, the, the federal taxes. It's going to throw you in a much higher tax bracket. And, yeah, you're in the, the 35 to 40% range at the end of the day. You know, depending. I mean, this That's person right. was um was single, so they're in a very high tax bracket if they did this.
0: And I've had that question a lot over the years. And, you know, when you run the numbers, somebody, you know, is intent on paying cash and taking it out of their IRA, and they don't want to have a mortgage because they're already retired or wherever they are. Um they have their house paid off. they don't want to go back to that, but if you run if you run a comparison and you say, "Okay, if you take out a mortgage at four percent, whatever it is, and you make that payment and you take that payment out of your i r a enough money to make that mortgage payment, and you're paying you know your twelve percent or twenty two percent tax on your on your distribution to make that payment, and you do that over twenty years or however long it takes to pay off the mortgage fifteen years." versus taking it all out at once mm-hmm. and you see, okay, at the end of 15 or 20 years, which, in which position am I better off? It's overwhelmingly mm-hmm. you're in better financial shape. If you do the mortgage and just take it out slowly to pay your mortgage. That's right. That's right. Overwhelmingly. And it's because of taxes. Mm-hmm. Taxes just kill you. You're taking an extra hundred thousand out of your IRA that no longer can earn any money. Yeah. Killing the goose. You're killing the goose. And so it's a, very painful thing to do. Don't don't make that mistake. So good question of the week. And that leads us up here to our talk about taxes. Why yep. worry about an audit? Five
1: reasons to stop worrying about it, Steve. I mean, this comes from Tax Act. And, um, you know, getting audited is about as good of a chance as Clemson winning the national title next year. Well, One in
0: 143. And maybe Carolina, <laughs> you know. But, hey, Carolina girls, man, they did pretty good they in basketball, right? There they, you go. they did. They So we give props there. But, uh, yeah, I think Clemson's a little better than 100 odds.
1: <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. But the one thing that we don't want to see in our mailbox, it's a letter from the Internal Revenue Service saying that uh, you have been selected uh, mm-hmm. for an audit. Um, so, you know, while you can never guarantee the IRS won't audit you, um, understanding a couple of the facts, about the tax audits may help ease your fears just a little bit. So as we talked about, Steve, the chances are very, very low. The, for the average American, it is about one in 143, uh, tax returns. And, you know, if you're in the middle or lower income range and your taxes are relatively straightforward, your likelihood of uh, being audited are even lower. So, you know, the IRS offices, um, they've had personnel cuts. Um, so there's less people out there looking, at, um, at the, uh, the audit returns. So chances are very, very low. And and second, you know, a tax audit doesn't automatically mean you're in trouble, right? Well, it's that's true right. that, no, of course not. That's right. They're, they're just looking at the data, making sure everything is, is, um, where it should be. And, and, um, you know, while it's true, the IRS can audit people when they suspect something's done wrong. That's often not the case. Um, the IRS audits a portion of the taxpaying public every year. So it's really a matter of chance, in a lot of cases, that your number is going to be called. It's kind of like jury duty, right? That's right. It doesn't happen very often, but, you know, some people do get called for it.
0: Yeah, it's a somewhat random audit, so it certainly doesn't mean you're in trouble. Um, There probably is something that flagged it, you know. I mean, there's something that makes yours stand out, um, something that puts your, your return in a higher risk for an audit, or, you know, the information in return may not match up with what the IRS received from another source, such as your 1099s that came in. So, and taxpayers who earn, you know, above average are more likely to be audited too. So if you earn a lot of money, yeah, your odds go up, but they're still relatively low. They're not, you know, just not like there's a 50% chance or something you're going to be audited. It's probably still way less than one in 10, Mm -hmm. even if you make a half million dollars a year. So higher income taxpayers um, not only tend to have more complex returns, but the IRS does typically collect more money from them, you know, from an audit if they uh, find something, so you're you're naturally going to be a little bit higher target. Sure.
1: And the third one here on the list, uh, it, you know, Generally, the IRS audits, Steve, only go back a couple of years, two or three years. And by the time you, you file multiple income tax returns, you may start to wonder what would happen if the IRS audited an old return. Could you find your information? You know, do you have enough details, documentation, and so forth? And fortunately, you don't need to worry about that happening. Um, according to most IRS, um, according to the IRS, most uh, audits are regarding returns that are filed within the last three years. If they find a substantial error, they may go back, um, you know, a couple more years, but probably not more than six. So, I mean, I'm sure you do as well, but we keep our tax returns for a number of years and would certainly recommend keeping them at least seven years Yeah. for most people.
0: Infinity. Yeah. <laughs> Infinity and beyond. beyond. Right. I just keep them uh, attic, you know, going yeah. all the way back to when I was a kid. <laughs> there you go.
1: That's good. We, we have ours as well. It's up in the attic. So... <laughs> So, um, yeah, you know, they only go back a couple of years, typically. And number four um, reasons why not to worry about an audit is you can reduce your chances. Um, there are certain items on your tax return, as you mentioned, that may attract attention of the IRS, and it may increase your likelihood of a target. Um, and some of those include, you know, business losses, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, if you have businesses that can be construed as a hobby— you know, for instance, if you raise horses or dogs, for example, and you take a loss every year on that, the IRS, they may flag that and they may try to disallow it because your business only classifies as a hobby. So that's one of the flags they kind of pick up on, you know, if you have a business that's not showing a profit in a lot of years that sh- that's showing loss. Um, and also, you know, deductions and credits for unusual amounts. Uh, will also be a flag if you claim that you have a large portion of your income that you give the charity, <clears throat> um, in the form of non-cash contributions, then they may want to take a closer look to that. Look at that if you didn't fill out the the form properly, mm-hmm. or if it's way over your ten percent threshold. You know that is kind of a a threshold for, you know, most people doing that. Um, Also, business deductions. The IRS may take a particular interest if you have unusually high travel or entertainment expenses, which tend to be one of the areas that are abused Mm -hmm. for small businesses, people that are filing on their tax return. They're, They're, you know, side business. They'll try to file a whole bunch of their entertainment or vacations as part of their business. And, you know, we all know if you're going to Hawaii, it's, Yeah, probably Probably, not business. Probably not business, even though you may claim you're doing some soliciting there or something. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, and despite those situations, you shouldn't be um, dissuaded from taking those deductions if you qualify it, um, you know, just because you're afraid of a tax audit. So just be aware the IRS may look at certain items, but just keep good records, um, you know, and if you do, you're probably in good shape. You can always reach out to a CPA as well. We, We have some great CPAs in the area that can help you with some of the details. So the IRS is less likely to audit returns that are free from mistakes um, by following the interview questions in in tax act or TurboTax or, you know, other software, certainly a CPA, you should have no trouble preparing uh, a complete and accurate return. And to give you even more peace of mind, there are some um, services out there that it'll give you an audit defense. Um, so during the filing process, you can le- I'd like to take advantage of that. If you do one of these um, online um, yep. or softwares as well, they'll they'll give you some protection on that. Um, basically, they're saying that everything's calculated correctly and they're going to ask you the right questions.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that helps, no doubt. And the next one here is, you know, if the IRS audits you, don't panic. Um, some IRS audits are not what you expect at all. I mean, the IRS may just want some additional documentation or a response about a particular item. So you want to respond as quickly as possible and move on. In fact, I mean, I had a sit-down audit a number of years ago, John, and, um, you know, it wasn't nearly as bad as I envisioned before I went into it. I mean, it did take a couple hours. I had to drive to Columbia and sit down and explain some things. But, um, you know, I just had to provide them a lot of documentation about some business expenses. But it came down to business expenses. Um, It was really what they were looking at Mm -hmm. on my return. Um, then that's, that's a typical flag. I think you have to look out for
1: sure. You know, the IRS does request an office or a field audit. You can gather your information, represent yourself. Um, you certainly have the the right to choose someone else to help you, a lawyer. If you, if you need to, you, you have certain rights as a taxpayer when you're subject to an audit, um, besides a right to, to representation, you also have a right to know why the IRS is requesting that information. So, you know, to make an audio recording of an interview with notice and and not be examined examined over the same information repeatedly. So, there are some taxpayer rights that you want to understand if you are audited. I my guess is most of the audits go pretty well. Um, people are forthright and they have documentation, or maybe they they don't have a you know specific. Piece of information they can go and um, and find and, and and provide to it. So, don't don't sure. stress. Um, you know there are there are ways if you are audited to uh, to get through it, and the chances are pretty low.
0: Yeah, and the one I had again was just one person. You know, it was a young lady that was auditing me, and uh, she wasn't a CPA or any really high level person. You know, she was just. Just kind of just asking, you know, kind of a set number of questions about the return, you know, and about where items came from. And I just had to provide documentation for that was the bottom line. So, and they gave me a heads up exactly what they were looking at, the primary thing they were interested in looking at um, Mm -hmm. before I went and sat down with them. So, um, you know, it's nothing to panic over and it's just, uh, it's just a random audit. You just get flagged for one reason or the other. So don't worry about it. Yeah. That's good. All right. And that leads us up here to our last item, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this is to
1: uh, calculate your number. I think it's – I don't remember what firm did that. It was ING, and it had people walking around out in public, and they all had a number above their head. And basically what they're trying to communicate is each person, each family has a targeted uh, retirement balance number that is needed to generate the income that they'll need in retirement. So when you look at income in retirement – you know, you may have a pension, you have Social Security, and then the third leg of that is your your income from your investments. Right. And so how much do you need to save up in order to provide that income from the investments? That's, that's, that's the number. That's the number
0: that you're looking at. Yeah, how much do you need for to provide the remainder of your income over the rest of your life in addition to your other sources of income? Yep. And And uh, now I would say this too, and there's another number that you need to know, and that is – the amount of income you're going to need in retirement. Yeah, that's and, important. Uh, that's a really important number, and an easy way to get to that. <clears throat> I thought I would just share with folks is, you know, as a rule of thumb, you need about seventy to eighty percent of your pre-retirement income in retirement. But a good way to get to that number, to get a decent estimate, is to take what's being deposited now, what's your net your net pay from your job and your income sources take that number, subtract out anything that's not going to exist when you're retired. Um, For instance, if you're, you know, driving to work and all back every day a long ways and you have a big gas bill, well, that'll obviously go down in retirement Um, or maybe some type of insurance you may drop off or if your mortgage will be paid off, you can drop that out. Um, But also subtract out anything you're saving out of that number. And then that's the net pay that you're going to need in retirement to live off of, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have to gross it up for taxes. Say divide it by 0.8, I think it's a good rule of thumb Mm -hmm. to gross that number back up for taxes. And that's your pre-retirement or your pre-tax income that you'll need in retirement. And you need that number to calculate the number you're going to need to to save.
1: And we have on our website, moneymd.net, we have in the resources area, um, the tools, we have a financial calculator. Yeah. So yep. folks can, if you're listening out there, and you want to know what your number is. And if you're on track for retirement, you can go check that out. Key your information in. It will give you an idea if you're on track or not.
0: Yeah, it will give you a good snapshot. And, uh, of course, if you want help with that or more details, you can always contact us. And we will be happy to help you with retirement planning as well. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Do see you next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. Email us your questions. You can email us at info at or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart SmartVister Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.